Good morning, Woodside. Well, again, as, uh, as Matthew said, this is uh, perhaps not what we were envisioning when we uh, agreed to switch pulpits, but uh, we trust uh, the Lord in his providence uh, and that his, his plans are always good. And so regardless of the technological means, uh, it is still a, a great joy to be able to open up the word with you all uh, this morning. I want to speak to you this morning uh, about the uh, topic that uh, Mike read uh, on that passage on the topic of anxiety. Right now, we, we all know what anxiety is. Right? It's 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 worry. It's it's fear. It's fretfulness about uh, the uncertainties of the future that can consume our, our thoughts, uh, produce even all kinds of physical responses in our bodies. And we all know what it is primarily because we've all experienced it in various forms. And so, uh, on a small scale, it's the feeling you get when you reach into your pocket to pay for something and you realize that your wallet is not there, or uh, the terror that strikes your soul when you're driving down the interstate and you see in your rearview mirror the red and blue lights flashing. On a much more serious scale, of course, there's everything that's been going on right now in the past couple of months with this global pandemic that we're in. There's anxiety about getting sick. Uh, there's anxiety over loved ones getting sick. Uh, there's finances, uh, anxieties over our jobs and livelihoods, anxiety with regards to what this summer is going to look like, anxiety as to whether things will ever feel normal again. And then there's other serious things uh, that are largely unrelated to the pandemic that we get anxious about. We get anxious about aging relatives. We get anxious about uncertain living situations, uh, unsafe loved ones marriage and singleness, are our children, are, are they going to end up all right? Uh, there's literally temptation to anxiety around every single corner, right? In small things and then in big things and everything in between. And now I know that you guys as a church went through Philippians last year, but I'm glad to be able to preach on this text again because I don't know about you, but I need to hear this text preached like a hundred times because we are people with anxiety-inclined hearts, living in an anxiety-fueled society in the midst of anxiety-producing times. And in light of all that, it feels almost inevitable, uncontrollable that we be anxious. But the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. It seems to be such a daunting command, right? like, a, like a seemingly impossible task that we could so easily grow discouraged. How am I actually supposed to not be anxious about anything? But the Christian can take heart, because as we seek to live according to the scriptures, we need to remember that God provides what God demands. And so God doesn't just command us, hey, you know, you, don't be anxious about anything, and then just leave us alone to figure it out. No, just as a, a kind father wouldn't just tell his child, uh, you, don't be cold, and then leave him alone, but would also lovingly uh, give him a coat and provide him with instructions on how to put it on, well, so God provides what God demands. You think about it, God, the Holy Spirit, literally dwells within his people and works to produce in them the fruit that God requires of us, that we not be anxious. And God also graciously gives us his word, right? Passages like Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, that tell us everything that we need to know about how to be obedient to the command to not be anxious. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us, in, who called us to his own glory 
and excellence. Amen. And so there's hope. Right? There's hope for the believer as we, in faith, humbly turn our attention to the scriptures and seek to faithfully live out the command to kill our anxiety. But before we go any further, let's go to the Lord once more, once more to ask him in prayer to help us to understand his word. Father, indeed, we come to you in the name of Jesus, acknowledging that we in and of ourselves cannot properly understand and apply your word, that we need the Holy Spirit to help us. And so, Lord, I pray that the Spirit indeed would be with me as I preach, as I bring these words. Uh, Lord, and for everybody who is listening, Lord, whether it be uh, here in person or at home over uh, a television screen, Lord, that they would be able to tune out any distractions, that you would uh, provide a supernatural uh, attention and focus on your word now and the grace to live it out to your glory. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how do we obey the command to not be anxious? Well, I think practically, just killing anxiety starts with acknowledging the biblical truth that anxiety is sin. To engage in anxious thoughts, to worry about the future, is sin. You say, really? Like, sin? That's kind of harsh. Well, no, it is a sin because Paul commands the Philippians, and by extension us, to not be anxious about anything. And so to be anxious is to go against the word of God. And Paul's words here are just mirroring Jesus' commands from the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6. You can turn uh, to Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. I want you to see this yourself. I want you to, as I read this passage, I want you to keep a mental tally of the number of times in this passage Jesus commands his people not to be anxious. So Matthew chapter 6, I'm starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so I count three times directly that he repeats the same command. Do not be anxious. And he implies it many more times. And look how in verse 30 he rebukes the anxious as you of little faith. Anxiety is something that's supposed to characterize unbelievers, right? The Gentiles seek after these things, not the child of God who lives in faith. Anxiety for the Christian, at its core and its essence, is about a lack of faith in God. Anxiety is not believing God's power 
or not believing that God loves us, he's for us. It's buying into the lie that God is not going to take care of us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in that's causing us anxiety. And so we might not normally think of anxiety as sin, but biblically speaking, that's exactly what it is. Remember the definition of sin, it's not just socially unacceptable behavior. Because if that's what the definition of sin was, anxiety certainly would not fall into that category, seeing how we live in the most anxious society ever known in human history. No, sin isn't just socially unacceptable behavior. Sin is missing the mark of God's perfect standard. Anxiety, again, which is rooted in a lack of faith in God and a, a lack of trust in his care, it's sin because it misses the mark of his perfect standard. And so we have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of thinking that anxiety really isn't that big of a deal. Jerry Bridges, in his excellent book, Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate, has an entire chapter on anxiety. And he writes in it, anxiety is not to be taken lightly or brushed off as common reactions we have to difficult events in a fallen world. Can you picture Jesus ever being anxious or frustrated. And whatever in our lives is not like Jesus is sin. And so sure, society would not consider it to be sin. It's certainly not as egregious as some other sins. But as God's children who, who want to be like Jesus, we need to hate anything in ourselves that is not like him. He who hides one rebel in his house is a traitor to the crown, Thomas Watson. Right? Anxiety might be one of the best disguised and, and hardest to eliminate rebels in our house, but it's a rebel nonetheless, and we must fight to put it to death. And one thing our passage from Philippians makes clear is that nobody is ever exempt from this command. Like He provides absolutely no wiggle room. Right? Look again at the passage, and look at how many words Paul uses that, that implies some kind of universality, right? All, every, any. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But notice also this about this passage. The passage says nothing about the things that cause us to be anxious. That is, the solution to our anxiety is not to just remove or solve or resolve the causes of our anxiety. And that's because the causes, the triggers of our anxieties are never going to be fully removed this side of eternity. Uh, they're just the product of living in a sin-cursed world. Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Right? Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And so if you solve the problem that's causing your anxiety, wonderful, right? praise God. But, but it's kind of like whack-a-mole. right? Something else is going to come up that is going to cause you to be anxious again unless you address the root issue, the underlying heart issue. I mean, you think about the book of Philippians, right? Think about the original audience of this letter. 
You think about all the things that are going on in their church that could have potentially plunged them into anxiety. Uh, just in the letter, Paul mentions persecution. He mentions opposition against the church. He mentions these Judaizers that had come into the church and, and these enemies of the cross. And then there's this internal conflict uh, that existed among the members. Add to that the fact that their beloved apostle was writing this letter from prison. And then you have all the things that they were dealing with that Paul doesn't even mention in the letter. Uh, surely some of them had health issues, significant ones. Uh, surely some of them had job and, and employment issues. We know that the church at large had financial issues, and so it would not be surprising at all if individual members were really struggling with their finances. And so the Bible never denies the presence of anxiety or fear or worries, the things that cause those things. Rather, the Bible tells us what to do with our anxieties and fears and worries. And so hopefully you're with me so far. Right? Anxiety is a sin. Anxiety is something that we as believers are going to constantly have to fight against because the temptation to anxiety is literally everywhere around us. And it's primarily about how we then respond to those temptations. But this is where, again, we as the people of God have to be careful because the world has a million answers to anxiety. Do a quick search on the internet and you find just all sorts of experts offering all kinds of solutions to fight anxiety. Meditation, medication, deep breathing, relaxation, yoga, alcohol, sleep, exercise, eating low carb, eating no carb, eating only carbs. Right, I made that last one up, but you get the point, right? There's literally a million different solutions out there on how to fight our anxiety. Now, I'm not saying some of those are not helpful. Like, you should exercise. You should make sure that you're getting enough sleep. You should, generally speaking, try to eat well. And things like that can play a role in reducing anxiety. But, as the people of God, we're not primarily looking for what is practical, right? or, or what is pragmatic, or, or what the world says that we should do. Primarily, we're looking for what the Word of God directs us to do. And so I want to look at four means that God has given us to kill anxiety from this passage in Philippians. And then we're going to look at the result, right? what happens when we, by faith, pursue those means. First is to rejoice in the Lord always. Right? The first means to kill anxiety is to rejoice in the Lord always. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Brothers and sisters, I want you to consider that rejoicing, and specifically rejoicing in the Lord, how that is a great antidote to anxiety. Rejoicing in the Lord. How if you're a Christian, God saved you from the hell and the damnation that you deserve for your sins. Just think about how anxious you would be if you knew that at any moment... Like an insect being held over the fire, you could be plunged into eternal flames because of your sin. And so in the Lord, you no longer have to fear judgment. You no longer have to fear death. But now for you, to die is gain. And what brings more anxiety on natural man's heart than the thought of death? But now that death, because you're in Christ, is turned to gain. And how in the Lord, 
He's not only taken away the burden of your sins, but now he's given you his perfect righteous record. And you don't have to work for it. It's given out of his storehouses of grace. Think about how anxious you would be if you felt like you had to constantly earn God's merit and God's favor. There's so much that a Christian can rejoice in by simply fixing their minds on all of the spiritual blessings they've received that are secured in Christ Jesus, in the Lord. The greatest anxieties we could ever have, greater than any anxieties we could possibly experience here on earth, anxieties over death and hell and eternity and judgment, well, all of those have been removed for God's people in Christ. And so by focusing on that wonderful truth, by simply rejoicing in the Lord, it just changes our main plane of concern uh, from the things of this earth to the things of heaven. And so all of those things that so easily press in on us because of the uncertainty of our health or families or jobs or relationships or finances or whatever it may be, in light of the joy that we've been given because of the certainty of our eternal destiny, they become to us much more light momentary afflictions. We turn our eyes upon Jesus and and we look full and we rejoice in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, the anxieties, the the cares, the, the worries of earth, they will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so the first means of grace to kill anxiety is simply to rejoice in the Lord. The second is prayer. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so you see how anxiety and prayer are connected by that very important word, but, as in, don't be anxious about anything, but... Instead of giving in to that temptation, pray about everything. Prayer is one of the most powerful antidotes we have to anxiety. Prayer and supplication and uh, letting your requests be made known to God, they're all kind of getting at the same thing. It's an acknowledgement of your utter dependence and trust in God, particularly as we bring to God those things that are causing us to be anxious. And that's the key. Because prayer is us acknowledging that we are not God, but rather are dependent upon God for all things. Anxiety, on the other hand, comes in large part from our desire to feel in control, uh, to feel in charge. And so when we pray, just through the dependency that prayer necessarily expresses, we kill anxiety. When you think about it, children tend to be much less anxious than their parents. And there's a million reasons for that, but at the core, I think it boils down to the fact that children are dependent on their parents. And so children do not have to worry about all the little things that their parents are taking care of. Their trust in, uh, their dependence on their parents leads them to not be anxious about those things. Well, the analogy of Scripture is that we are the children of God. God desires us to have a childlike faith and dependence upon him. He desires for us to trust him with our fears and anxieties. 
Psalm 56, 3, when I am afraid, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. One of my family's favorite uh, activities, kind of a a family thing that we like to do together, is to go hiking. Again, Matthew mentioned earlier I have four kids. The youngest is two. Uh, And so for most of the hike, he's not actually hiking, right? Uh, I've got him strapped onto this baby carrier backpack uh, that's specifically designed for hiking. Uh, But the thing is, he's not exactly a newborn at this point. Uh, he's, He's two, he's two and a half, and he's a pretty big and chunky kid. And so about a mile into the hike, right, I'm carrying him on my back this whole time, and I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I feel like I am carrying a a 500-pound burden. And it's the backpack. uh, It's my son. It's our water bottles. It's our lunch. It's the rocks that the other kids have picked up and insist that I carry up the hike, right? All of this is just severely weighing me down. And in my exhaustion, I'll see a, a large rock or a boulder that's about this high, and I'll just come right next to it, and I'll just rest the weight of that burden onto that rock, just to take the weight off of my shoulders. I'm casting my weight on that rock, and that brings me just tremendous relief. With that illustration in mind, look at how Proverbs 12 describes anxiety. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anxiety is like carrying this really heavy backpack on the trail, and it just weighs and pulls you down, right? Like, life is already hard, and then add to all that the anxieties that we carry around, and it it just feels like it's going to crush us. What must we do? Well, Peter picks up on that same analogy when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him. All that's burdening you and weighing you down on the Lord through prayer. And that alone would be just tremendous encouragement for us as believers. That God invites us to cast all of our anxieties upon him. But now look at that verse. Look at how it ends. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is not God begrudgingly saying, you know what? I'm God. I can handle these anxieties. Here, just bring them here. I'll I'll take them for you. This is God, our loving Heavenly Father, caring for us. Caring for each and every one of his children deeply. Caring that we not be burdened and cast down, but that we cast our anxieties on him through prayer. It's exactly what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, are you not of more value than they? Birds are birds, right? Flowers are flowers. But you, you are God's children. He cares for you. Psalm 103.13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He genuinely wants you to come to him because he wants to show you compassion. For you to not come to him with your anxieties, uh, it's an insult to his love and his care for you. And so the second means of fighting anxiety that Paul gives us is prayer. 
Third, it's not just prayer in terms of making supplications, right? Asking things from God, although he does want us to do that. But look again at verse 6. We can miss this if we read it too fast. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so the third means is thanksgiving. Why does Paul throw that in there? Is it just kind of like a formality? Is it just kind of tacking it on? No, Paul, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit, he wastes no words. It's in there because thanksgiving is one of the most powerful tools that a Christian has to fight anxiety. Why? Well, thanksgiving, giving God thanks for the blessings that he's already bestowed on you in the past well, that looks to God's past faithfulness. And one of the clearest evidences that you, you, we have that God is going to be faithful and good to us in the future is simply that he's been so faithful and good to us in the past. That is, remembering the faithfulness of God in the past by being thankful is one of the primary means that God gives us to fight against anxiety in the present. I think we see this so clearly illustrated in Psalm 77. Turn there, if you have your Bibles in front of you, Psalm 77. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. Now you talk about a a person struggling with anxiety. This is someone really struggling. Psalm 77, verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? That this psalmist has nowhere to turn. Look at that terminology that he uses. He, he feels as though God is just spurning him. God will never again be favorable to him. It feels to him like God's love towards him has just completely ceased. That God is not going to keep any of his promises. And so this is anxiety at an extreme, right? Anxiety that God has completely cast him away. But now look at what he does. He, in thanksgiving, recalls God's past faithfulness. Verse 10, Then I said, I will appeal to this. He's preaching to himself here. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And then he goes on and he writes about the past miracles and displays of the power of God. Brothers and sisters, we fight anxiety over the future in the present by being thankful for God's faithfulness in the past. Just to be really, really practical here, right? one, one very simple way that we can do this is to just make a list. Just make a list of the things that we are thankful to God for. Not just generally like, hey, you just need to be a more thankful person, but to literally make a list, right? Like on a piece of paper, or if you want to use your iPhone, you can use the note section, whatever it is, just list all of the blessings that you don't deserve and yet God has lavished upon you. Just to enumerate the ways in which he has been faithful and good to you in the past. I'll start it for you. If you're a Christian, the very top of that list, you can put that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Right? That's number one. You know it doesn't end there. 
At some point, you're just going to have to give up because you've either run out of paper or your pen ran dry. It's going to be impossible for us to actually write out all of the things that we could be thankful for. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies a parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man ascribed by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky, uh, and if it's true for the love of God, it's also true for the blessings that a loving God has bestowed upon his children. And then whenever you have a substantive enough list, a long enough list, just take a look at it. Right? How God has so richly blessed you and shown you so much mercy and grace and loving kindness. And then the uncertainties that lie ahead in life, they just become far less daunting. Knowing that the God who has given you all of these things in the past is also going to carry you through those things that lie ahead in the future. And so we've seen rejoicing, praying, and thanksgiving so far as the means to fighting anxiety. And this is just, I just love when the scriptures kind of tie together. And so look at how Paul ties these same three things together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The fourth means we have to fight anxiety is to remember that the Lord is at hand. Remember that the Lord is at hand. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now the Lord is at hand could either refer to the Lord being near in terms of his presence or it could refer to the Lord being near in terms of his coming. Uh, I tend to think it's the latter, especially given how Paul talks about the return of Christ at the end of chapter 3, which is just a few verses before this. But, but how does this tie to anxiety? Well, if you think about all of the things in this life, on this earth, that cause us to be anxious, and then you think about the fact that the Lord's return is imminent. And when he returns, he's going to right all wrongs. He's going to judge the wicked. He's going to exonerate the righteous. He's going to wipe away every tear. Well, then being anxious over those things just doesn't really seem worth our time anymore. Just like Jesus, right? Amidst trials and persecutions and suffering and the accompanying temptations, I'm sure, to be anxious, never sinned, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And we can do the same thing by remembering that the Lord is at hand. Now, reasonableness, it's kind of a funny word. It's hard to translate, and so if you look at five good English translations of the Bible, you'll see seven different translations. Uh, the ESV says reasonableness, NIV has gentleness, King James has moderation, NASB has gentle spirit, CSB has graciousness. You kind of combine all those words together into one big soup, and you kind of begin to grasp Paul's intention. But it's basically a forbearing spirit. It's a meek and gentle and gracious spirit that doesn't insist on its own way. It's the person who knows that the Lord is at hand and therefore is not anxious about anything and therefore is not focused overly on himself or herself and their worries. And all of that reflects in a gracious and gentle countenance towards others. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, okay, I was really, really hoping that you would give us 
some cool new trick or like a fancy method that we could use to reduce our anxiety. And basically all you've told us to do is rejoice, pray, give thanks, and remember that Jesus is coming back. Like, that's it? Well, yeah, that's it. Uh, they may seem unspectacular, and, and they may seem very ordinary, but these are the powerfully effective means that God has given us in his scriptures to fight against anxiety. And I know that I, for one, certainly haven't come close to being as faithful as I should be in any of these four, let alone mastering them. And I assume that you haven't either. Brothers and sisters, Christianity isn't about the new and flashy tricks. Christianity is about growing in faithfulness in these tried and true means of grace that God's revealed to us thousands of years ago in his Bible. Don't despise the simple means of mercy. God's promise is that if we pursue these things in faith, if we pursue in faith and and eagerly try to put anxiety to death, he will work in us. Which leads us to the result. We've talked about the four means to kill anxiety. What's the result when we practice these things to the glory of God? The result is peace. And the peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you might have expected, or, or maybe even hoped, that Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 would have said something like this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and God will do exactly as you asked in removing all potential sources of anxiety from your life. But it doesn't say that. The promise is not ease. The promise is not even relief. The promise is peace. And so it's not that you won't experience unpleasant things. You may not but you may. It's not that your problem will disappear. It might disappear, but it might not. I mean, think about Paul. He pleaded with the Lord. Surely, exactly as he's prescribed for us in Philippians chapter 4, surely with great faith that God would remove the thorn in his flesh, 2 Corinthians 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a whole other sermon. But God does not promise prosperity for us. God does not promise a removal of our problems. No, the promise of Philippians 4 is rather that we will have peace in the midst of our problems. A peace that doesn't make any sense given our circumstances. A peace that in the middle of the flood trusts that sovereign God is indeed in control. A peace that really knows that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul. Where's he writing this letter from? He's writing this letter from prison. You talk about the potential for anxiety due to uncertainty. Like, he's awaiting his verdict as he's writing this letter. He could be put to death by Caesar any day. 
But in those circumstances, Paul manages to write the most joy-filled letter ever written by man. Humanly speaking, right? That makes absolutely no sense. You talk about a peace that surpasses all understanding, right? Paul is modeling that for us simply by writing this letter. And what does this peace do? Well, it, it guards us. The, the idea of guarding our hearts and our minds, it's a, a military term that would have described soldiers who were assigned to protect something. That's something that the Philippians would be able to relate to because the Romans would have soldiers protecting the city of Philippi. Well, in the same way that soldiers would protect a city or, or some valuable interests, the peace of God protects our hearts and minds. And so when the opportunity to fear, when that attacks, and when the temptation to anxiety just comes like flaming arrows, the peace of God acts as like a battalion that surrounds us, a formidable line of defense, and it guards our hearts and our minds against the sin of anxiety. When we're regularly communing with Him, when our gaze is set upon Him, when we're experiencing and expressing a full trust in Him by faithfully pursuing those means that He has given us, the result is peace. You keep Him in perfect peace. Isaiah 26.3, whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Let me make one very important clarification here. And that's that the peace of God can only come to those who first have peace with God. And this is such an important clarification because perhaps you are watching or listening to this sermon and you're thinking to yourself, as a non-Christian, well, I do struggle with anxiety, and so I guess what I really need to do is just to pray that God would give me this sense of peace. But the fact is that you, as an unbeliever, if you are not a Christian, you should feel anxious. You should feel very anxious, not for your job or, or for your finances or your relationships, but for the eternal state of your soul. You should be very anxious because you're not sure what's going to happen after you die. Or maybe you are sure, right? Maybe you're sure that because of your unpaid for sin, you deserve an eternity in hell. Well, all of that should make you very, very anxious. It's like when God tells Ezekiel about the destruction that's about to come. He says, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink water with trembling and with anxiety, as in you are 100% right to be terrified. Right? Death is literally a heartbeat away for you and you are not ready for judgment. That is a terrifying thought that should make your heart beyond anxious. Isaiah 48:22. there is no peace for the wicked. But dear friend, uh, the gospel stands to save you today. Christ died to reconcile sinners like you, sinners like me, to himself. Christ died to take away all of our sins, give us his perfect record, if we would repent and believe. Right? Today is the day of salvation. Today we can have peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so any true subjective feeling of peace, a feeling of things being calm and at rest amidst all of the temptations to anxiety in our world, any true subjective feeling of peace can only come from an objective standing of peace with the holy God of the universe. 
So today is the day to cry out to the Lord to save you. Today, you can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then and only then can you experience the peace from God with which he guards his people against anxiety. Let me just say this as we close. Brothers and sisters, if, if you struggle with anxiety, uh, I want you to know that I myself am right there with you. Right? Like if the only thing I ever did with this sermon is I just wrote it and just preached it to myself and I was the only person who had ever heard it, would have totally, totally have been worth my time. Right? Because I desperately need to grow in this. I am prone to anxiety. I feel the weight of that. And I absolutely hate it. But I don't want you or I to leave this sermon feeling discouraged, just feeling bad about our anxiety, feeling despair because we so often find ourselves worrying. I want us to leave this sermon encouraged because God is working in his people to kill this. By the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, by the guiding light of the scriptures, this is a sin, just like any other, that God is going to give us growth in. Because the promise of the scriptures is that Christ is like setting up his throne in our hearts and it's going to prevail over all of our sin and corruptions. God is conforming us into the image of his Son. Perfect, sinless, righteous, never anxious, always trusting Jesus. And so I urge you to join me in striving to become more trusting and resting children of God. Because he is a good and trustworthy God. And so let's trust him more today as we fight to kill our anxiety. Let's pray. Father, we, your children, eagerly desire, our heart's greatest desire is to see you, to know you, and to be like you. And so, Lord, we rest in and we trust in the promise that you are conforming us to the image of your Son. Lord, conform everything in us that is not like him to him. And especially from this text, we are convicted of of our anxiety, of our worry, of our lack of trust in you. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would work in us that we might truly put that sin to death, that we might uh, not fall into the trap of thinking that it is okay, that it's acceptable, uh, that society says it's okay, and therefore we don't really need to bother with it. Uh, Lord, we see that sin in us, and we hate it, and we ask that you uh, would allow us to, by your Spirit, put it to death. And Lord, we pray for any who are hearing this word who are not Christians, who do not yet know peace with God through Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would save them today. Lord, we ask these things for your glory. Amen.